What's up, everybody? You're listening to the 10 After 7 podcast on YouTube with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. It's episode 46, and I must start by telling you the number 46 might be the worst number worn in sports history. At the top of every podcast, I usually mention the first name that pops in my head when it comes to a number that they wore. And believe it or not, the first guy I thought of with the number 46 was Alfred Morris. The one-time running back of the Washington football team played on the Dallas Cowboys for a hot minute. He still might be in the league today, but I couldn't tell you truthfully or not. But I know I spent way too much money on him in an auction draft, and he stunk it up that year, so I'll never forget him. So I had to Google, who was the greatest number 46 in sports history? And the article mentioned Lee Smith, the Baseball Hall of Famer, the reliever of the Chicago Cubs. I've heard of him before. They mentioned Todd Christensen in the NFL. I kind of heard of him before, not really. The only one I genuinely heard of was number 46, Andy Pettit, the great New York Yankees postseason pitcher. And how my mind works, I thought to myself, Andy Pettit, I think, holds the MLB record for most pickoffs. And I couldn't be more wrong. It was bugging me, so I looked it up, and it turns out Steve Carlton picked off 144 runners in his career, the great left-handed baseball Hall of Famer. So take that home with you. On today's podcast, I'm going to get into last night's Thursday night matchup between the Los Angeles Rams and New England Patriots. A lot to take away from that one. Then I'm going to get into some week 14 matchups of the NFL slate that we should keep an eye on. And then for the first time, I looked at the NFL playoff picture. If the season ended today, that's one of my favorite sayings in sports talk. If the season ended today, this would be the playoff matchup. And I usually think to myself, why should I give a shit? The season's not ending today. We still got a few more weeks left. I'm not going to care about the playoff picture. Well, in 2020, the season actually could end today, tomorrow, or maybe even next week. That's how crazy shit's been. So let's get right into it. Last night's matchup between the New England Patriots and Los Angeles Rams, you knew what the talk was going to be about. How the Super Bowl two years ago, Sean McVay, offensive genius, went up against Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time, and Bill Belichick put him in a blender and said, I know every single thing you're going to run, and I'm going to shut you the fuck out. And that's exactly what happened. It was the most boring Super Bowl of all time, and the Patriots ended up with another world championship. But it turns out, Patriots are a much different team than they were. Starting with the look at quarterback, Tom Brady's no longer there. They have a guy named Cam Newton, who when we were playing hot potato with the MVP award earlier on in the season, Cam Newton was the odds-on favorite to win MVP. And now in week 14, Cam Newton drops back and he's getting hit every single time. He's got zero skill position players around him. And every time he throws the football, it looks painful as ever. The Patriots go into this game were the least talented team. They were overmatched from the start. The Rams ran the football all over them. Cam Akers, the rookie running back for the Rams, carried the ball 29 times for 171 yards. And the New England Patriots defense didn't want to touch him until he was 15 yards upfield. The Patriots, I don't know how they beat the Chargers 45-0, but Anthony Lynn should have been fired right after that game because the Patriots are awful. Terrible. And Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, they wanted to just keep talking about that Super Bowl in the past. And if you wanted to play a drinking game out of it, you were hammered by halftime with the amount of times they were bringing it up. 
And I'll say one thing about this game. The Rams' defense is as good as advertised. Aaron Donald coming straight up the middle. Leonard Floyd coming off the edge. Jalen Ramsey on the outside. They look great all over the football field. They had six total sacks in this one. Aaron Donald had one and a half sacks by himself. He now has 13 sacks on the season, which leads the NFL. But if you want to take away one play, we always talk about the unnoticed stats that Aaron Donald brings. Well, the Cam Newton Patriots ran a screen pass right in the beginning of the second quarter, and it spoke volumes about how good Aaron Donald is. He read that play right out the book, grabbed on to Damian Harris out of the backfield for a split second, and Cam Newton had to get rid of the ball because he had no other choice, and Kenny Young picked it off and housed it for a pick six. And it had everything to do with Aaron Donald grabbing a hold of Damian Harris and reading that play straight out. Aaron Donald might be the greatest defensive player of our lifetime. He's on his way to win another Defensive Player of the Year award. This isn't news-breaking shit, but Aaron Donald and the Rams' defense is going to play in early January, and that's why they're a Super Bowl contender. Jared Goff threw an interception early on in that game. He's been inconsistent this year, but this team's going to go as far as that defense can take them. If Jared Goff doesn't have a few hiccups during games in the playoffs, the Rams will win it all because of this defense alone. And I kind of bought into the Bill Belichick hype. I tweeted out before the game, hey, it's a five and a half point spread. And I'm going to absolutely take the New England Patriots because Bill Belichick's on that sidelines. I don't care how much more talented the Rams are. And John Serta, my good friend, took advantage of me. Not even seconds after I sent out that tweet, he responded with, I bet. I said I got five on it and I had to Venmo in $5 before the fourth quarter even started. And the Rams should have scored more points in this one. They probably should have gave the ball to Cam Akers even more. He probably could have ended up with 300 yards rushing in this game. But the Rams win handily. They're 9-4. and four. They sit atop of the NFC West and the three seed in the NFC, and they look good. Now let's get into some important games coming up in Week 14. I'll start with the Minnesota Vikings going up against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Right now, the Vikings are the seventh seed in the NFC. The Bucs are the sixth seed. The Bucs are coming off a bye. We know how up and down they've been this year. But the Vikings led by Dalvin Cook and their quarterback, Kirk Cousins. If you don't know what Kirk Cousins has done, he has a lot to do with how good the Vikings have been playing. It's not a one-man show over there with Dalvin Cook. They got Justin Jefferson on the outside. They got Adam Thielen. They got a pretty good wide receivers. And Kirk Cousins has thrown 15 touchdowns to two interceptions since week eight. The Bucs are favored by six and a half points. I don't care that Tom Brady is 14 and four following a bye week. He was doing that with Bill Belichick on his side in New England. He's on a new team, new system. I'm going to throw that stat straight out the window and ride the Minnesota Vikings plus six and a half in this one. Please and thank you. Let's jump to the next game. The Kansas City Chiefs are traveling to Miami to take on the 8-4 and four Dolphins. I have a lot invested in Tuatunga Vailoa. I'm a huge fan. Yes, I do know he doesn't put up the electrifying numbers as other rookie quarterbacks are doing. Justin Herbert's look good. Joe Burrow, before he got hurt, looks good. But Tuatunga Vailoa is winning football games. And the Dolphins' defense has allowed 21 points or fewer in 9 of 12 games this season. That's the most in the NFL. But can they contain Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs? I think not. The Chiefs are seven and a half point 
favorite on the road. And the only way to beat the Kansas City Chiefs that we have seen, you have to score. You have to score points. And here's a stat that scares me. Miami has scored fewer than 20 points in each of Tua's last two starts. Kansas City has scored fewer than 20 points one time in Patrick Mahomes' 43 career starts. Patrick Mahomes has averaged more yards passing alone, throwing the football to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey than Tua has thrown throughout any game he has started. And Kansas City has won nine straight road games, the longest active streak We saw Kansas City last Sunday night taking on the Denver Broncos. Denver kept it close. That was an in-division game. Those guys usually know know each other. So do we dare take the home dog, the Miami Dolphins? I'm not going to do it. I cannot do it. There's few things that you grow up and you say, all right, Tom Brady has the ball, two minutes left in the game, the Patriots are going to win. I'm not betting against him. Anytime Tom Brady was coming off a bye, like I said, with the New England Patriots, you weren't going to bet against them. And right now, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, you do not bet against them. A seven and a half point favorite going into Miami. I want to ride Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs because I will feel like an absolute buffoon if I don't take Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. So give me the Chiefs seven and a half on the road. We jump to another huge game, playoff implications. The Indianapolis Colts at 8-4 and four are traveling to Las Vegas to take on the Raiders at 7-5. and five. The Raiders last week survived a game against the New York Jets thanks to Greg Williams who got fired the next day because he drew up an all-out blitz, which you only do in Madden when you don't know what defense you want to run. You say, I'm just going to blitz your ass. Well, he did that and Henry Ruggs caught a touchdown pass. The rest is history. The Raiders win. But here's why I'm going to take the Indianapolis Colts. They're favored by three points in this one on the road. And Phillip Rivers, I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to trust Phillip Rivers because no one has feasted more on any team in the sport than Phillip Rivers has against the Oakland Raiders. He holds the record in history against the Raiders with 18 wins, over 7,000 passing yards, And 47 touchdown passes against the Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, whatever you want to call them. I'm going to trust Phillip Rivers, which seems crazy because no one likes to throw the late game intersection more than Phillip Rivers. The Raiders have scored 30 plus points in four of their last five games. The Colts have allowed 30 plus points in two of their last three. And the Raiders, even though they've looked like trash the last two weeks, getting blown out, shut out by the Atlanta Falcons, and escaping that game against the Jets. The Raiders have three wins against teams currently in the playoff picture. They beat New Orleans earlier in the year. We know they beat Kansas City one out of two times, and they beat the Cleveland Browns in a game that was tossed up because there were 70 mile per hour wins. Anyone could have won that football game. So give me the Colts minus three because Phillip Rivers is going to eat against the Raiders like he always does. Then we have the game with the Saints traveling to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. The only reason I care about this game is because somehow, some way, Taysom Hill continues to be the starting quarterback of the Saints. And I saw a tweet earlier this week that the Saints have more trust that he is their future quarterback going forward. And also, Carson Wentz has officially been benched. Jalen Hurts' era has started in Philadelphia. 
How good will he be? I don't know. He's going up against the Saints team who looks very good. They have a 10-2 record. They're the number one seed in the NFC. So the only reason I'm keeping an eye on this one is because Taysom Hill's fascinating and Jalen Hurts, we got to see what he has. And the Sunday night game, the Steelers going against the Bills. The Steelers just lost a game to the Washington football team. I think that game was on Monday night. The Steelers undefeated no more. They're still the first seed in the AFC. The Bills are at the top of the AFC East with a 9-3 record. Josh Allen's fascinating. He either loses you the football game or wins it. And it's going to be the AFC showdown. It'll probably be the game of the night. Maybe even the game of the year. And it's unfortunate that there's no fans in the stands because the Buffalo Bills, the Bills Mafia would be absolutely berserk on Sunday night football. How do the Steelers respond after losing their game? Well, I'll tell you what. Of the seven previous teams to start 11-0 and or better in the last 25 seasons, four of them have lost consecutive games after their undefeated start. What that means, I don't know. The Bills are favored by one and a half. The Bills' defense. You want to you talk about a team that has dropped off from one year to the next? Last year, the Bills' defense was one of the best in the NFL, allowing 16.2 points per game. In the year 2020, they've allowed 25 points per game. That's a huge difference. And I'm going to have Mike Tomlin. I think he gets the Pittsburgh Steelers back on track. I think they win. I think they beat the Bills in Buffalo on Sunday night football, go 12-1, and and still hang on to that top seed in the AFC. And those are the only games I really care about. I think the Seahawks play the Jets. We'll see how they do. They've been up and down this year. And the rest of the games this week, I really don't care. If there's a game I should keep an eye on, let me know. Let's look at the playoff picture. If the season ended today, let's start in the AFC. Obviously, the Steelers would have that first round bye. And then the seventh seed Colts in the AFC would take on the number two Chiefs. I think the Chiefs win that game in Kansas City easily. And then you move on to the next matchup. You would have the next six seed Dolphins taking on the number three Bills. That's an in-division rival game. They both know each other very well. I don't know who would win that one. The Bills would probably be favored by a point in Buffalo. But the Dolphins in the playoffs, that's a new thing. And I'm, I'm here for it. And then the final matchup to round out the AFC would be the five-seed Browns taking on the number four-seed Titans, which would be a rematch of what we saw last week when the Browns steamrolled. The Tennessee Titans, both very similar teams. Tannehill versus Baker Mayfield. Who are you taking in that one? Who do you trust to win that football game? They both run the football well. I think the Browns probably have more talent on defense. Obviously, Miles Garrett's in the running for Defensive Player of the Year. But that's a great matchup. The AFC matchups are good. And on the outside looking in, you have the Raiders at 7-5 and and the Ravens at 7-5. and And the Ravens will take on the Browns on Monday night. And that's a pretty damn good Monday night football game I'm looking forward to. And then in the NFC, you have the Saints sitting pretty with a first-round bye. You have the seventh-seed Vikings taking on the two-seed Packers. Of course, division. Aaron Rodgers, I'll ride with him in that game. 
Then you have the six-seed Bucks taking on the three-seed Rams. They played each other earlier this year on Monday night a few weeks ago. The Rams made Brady look suspect. The Rams' defense has made a lot of people look suspect this year. And then to round out the NFC playoffs, you have the five-seed Seahawks taking on the four-seed Giants. And everyone's hot on the Giants right now. But who knows if that's going to be the team that's that four-seed because the Washington football team is riding pretty, pretty hot right now. Alex Smith always got a root for that guy. And the Giants, Danny Dimes, I'm not sure I can name another Giants player. I know they have Big Cat on the defensive line, played at USC, Big Cat Williams. And that's all I have to say about the Giants. And on the outside looking in, in the NFC, a lot of teams are in the playoff picture still, obviously, because the Giants are 5-7. and seven. Arizona, 6-6. Six and six. They've looked suspect. Kyler Murray, a lot of people are speculating whether or not he's playing hurt. The Bears are 5-7 and seven, along with the Lions, 49ers, and Washington football team. We shall see how it plays out. But if the season ended today, which it sure as hell could, that, those would be the playoff matchups. Can we just fast forward already? I'm ready for playoff football, especially with the expanded playoffs. Now, last week, I want to get into this. Last week, I mentioned that the NCAA or college football or whatever, whoever's running ship over there should just scrap everything and say, let's have a 16-team playoff. Let's make it a college basketball bracket. And you know what? Danny Cannell tweeted out today, whoever made it up made the actual bracket that I dreamed of that every college football fan has probably dreamed of. And it's this easy. It's so easy some random person drew up what the college football playoff should look like while still keeping the major six bowl games intact. Here's how it works. You seed one through 16. You have eight teams on one side, eight teams on the other side of the bracket. Every team gets a first round home field advantage, the higher seed does. So you would have Alabama taking on a 16 seed Iowa Hawkeyes. The winner of that would play the winner of Georgia versus Cincinnati in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. And then at the bottom of that bracket, you'd have the number five seed Texas A&M taking on the 12th seed Indiana Hoosiers. And the 13th seed taking on the number four Ohio State. The winners of that would go on to play in the Fiesta Bowl. On the other side of the bracket, get this. You want the cash prize? If this is all about making money, the two first 15th seed on the other side of the bracket would be USC traveling to South Bend, Indiana to keep the rivalry between Notre Dame and USC intact. The 10 seed Miami Hurricanes would take on the 7th seed Iowa State. The winner of those matchups would play in the Cotton Bowl. At the bottom of that bracket, you have the 6 seed Florida Gators taking on the 11th seed Oklahoma Sooners. The 14 seed Northwestern Cats taking on the three-seed Clemson Tigers. The winner of that matchup would play in the Orange Bowl. And the final four, the winners of those would play in the All-State Sugar Bowl. And the winner of the other side of the bracket, final four, would play in the Rose Bowl game. And obviously, the two winners would meet up in the College Football National Championship. How is this so easy for someone to create, but college football and the NCAA can't figure it out? There's probably contracts involved, but this is a dream scenario. Right in front of my face right now, I'm reading a bracket, one through 16 seeds in college football. Please give it to us. 
We know everything that's gone crazy this year. Teams aren't playing the same amount of games. Obviously, Michigan and Ohio State isn't happening for the first time since 1918, World War I. But the Big Ten came out and said Ohio State doesn't actually have to play six games to compete in the Big Ten title because we know we need them in the college football playoff to represent the Big Ten. Scrap it all. Give us the 16th seed. We get Notre Dame versus USC. That's all I give a damn about because Keaton Slowis and the Trojans look damn good right now. USC versus UCLA is coming up this weekend. And USC is probably going to mollywop that ass. And I wish they could play for something of importance later this season. All right, now let's get back to how we're going to finish this podcast. I'm going to finish it with some NBA notes. Obviously, the NBA preseason basketball starts tonight. It's absolutely insane that three days before Christmas, the NBA is going to get underway again. And of course, the rumor mill has been going since the end of the season. And the talk of the town is James Harden wants out of Houston. He was out in, I think, Vegas partying, not showing up to training camp on time because he does not want to play any longer for the Houston Rockets. And I want to know how people actually feel about players having this much power where they could basically say, I ain't showing up to work because I don't want to be here. Boy, what if that was the case for every single job in America? You know how many people would be like, nope, I'm not playing. You got to trade me to another job. Well, James Harden thinks he has what it takes He thinks he has enough power to tell the Houston Rockets, I want out. And the trade destinations are coming from anywhere from Brooklyn Nets. That was the first team we heard about. Then we heard about the Philadelphia 76ers. And then two more teams came to the forefront when James Harden basically said, I want to go to a contender, add the Miami Heat and Milwaukee Bucks to that list. Do we care that players have this much power? Does James Harden have the same amount of power as Anthony Davis when he asked out of New Orleans? The same amount of power as Kawhi Leonard when he asked out of San Antonio? LeBron James started the player empowerment movement, and LeBron James has no blood on his hands right now. These other guys who want to think they have the same amount of power as LeBron James to say, I want out. I don't care how many picks you traded to get this guy to play with me. I don't care how many assets you're willing to give up. Get me the hell out of here. James Harden apparently is going to show up to training camp the Houston Rockets. We all know about the trade between Russell Westbrook going to Washington, John Wall going to Houston. James Harden basically wants out. LeBron James deserves some credit. Because when we watch the documentary, I love referring back to the Last Dance documentary because that's how this podcast started. I was bored as hell and I said, I'm going to have a podcast about every single episode of the 10-hour documentary. And everyone talks about how Michael Jordan took away so many titles from other guys. James Harden wants out of Houston. And there's a reason why every other team that he wants to play for is in the Eastern Conference. He wants no part of the... Western Conference anymore because LeBron James and the Lakers, who just signed Anthony Davis to an extension, who had some nice pickups in the offseason, James Harden probably put his hands up and said, I don't have a second banana on this team who's good enough to compete with those guys over in Los Angeles, and I need help. Put me in the Eastern Conference where I could actually get to an NBA Finals potentially, and maybe find a way to beat LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. 
That's the reason why. And I'm a huge James Harden fan. And how we went about it, not a good look. Not saying I'm not going to show up. I'm going to party for a little bit and show up on my time. NBA players have done that for what seems like a decade now. He went about it the wrong way. I like James Harden. I don't know where he fits. I think the best place I heard of James Harden going was Golden State, playing alongside Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and the package would be some with James Wiseman, a couple of picks, maybe Andrew Wiggins. But the Golden State Warriors and James Harden, that's intriguing. Klay Thompson out for the year. I don't know how it would work, but there ain't no way in hell the Houston Rockets are going to trade him in the conference. But player empowerment is what it is these days. James Harden, it seems like any player can do whatever the hell they want to try to get out of their situation. And if it, if we're talking about what sport it's the toughest to be a fan of, it's probably the NBA. If you're a fan of a team, think about if you're a fan of the Houston Rockets. You got so close. James Harden got so close to knocking off the Golden State Warriors and playing for an NBA Finals, but he just couldn't do it. And now he wants out. The Rockets fans were living on a high. But in a split second, a player could wake up one morning and say, I'm done, I don't want to be here anymore, and it's probably going to happen. Anthony Davis got out, Kawhi Leonard got out. Who else? LeBron James waited until free agency. Say whatever the hell you want about LeBron James, but he didn't go about it this way. All the other guys are taking advantage of the player empowerment that he apparently started, and they're going about it all different ways. Does James Harden get traded before the season? I don't think so. I think Houston's going to try to ride it out, and we'll see what happens there. They sure as hell aren't going to be a contender in the Western Conference, not with Denver rising, Utah Jazz looking good. Suns might be on the come up. Obviously, the Clippers are still there. He wants to play in the Eastern Conference. And LeBron James probably deserves some credit for pushing everyone to go to the East because they can't compete with them in the West. Other NBA news. Obviously, Paul George signs the max deal with the Los Angeles Clippers. Five years, $226 million. The question here is, is he worth it? It doesn't matter. It does not matter if he's worth it or not. The Clippers had to do it. They gave up all those assets, every single asset they even had. They got rid of to acquire Paul George to play alongside Kawhi Leonard. It went sideways last year, and the Clippers had to have that security by signing Paul George up because next year him and Kawhi both at the same time could have declined their player options and said, nope, we're out. But the Clippers have a plan to build a new arena. And they had to give Paul George $226 million to have a face of their franchise and at least one dude who they can move into that new arena going forward. Does Kawhi Leonard link back up? I think he does. He spent all this time. His image took a hit because he did whatever it took to get to L.A., asking out of San Antonio, ending up in Toronto for a year and saying, I'm out, I got to L.A., that was my end plan. So it doesn't matter if Paul George was worth it or not. The Clippers had to do it. So that's the NBA news. I'm excited. Next week, me and my buddy Ryan Music are going to have NBA preview on this. We're going to talk about the NBA rankings that ESPN comes out 
with every single year just to get a rise out of people. They got a rise out of Ryan Music who tweeted or texted in our group chat talking about how overrated Zion was because of this list. And I'm going to rip into him. It's going to be an exciting podcast. You better look forward to it. But that's all I have on today's podcast. I do want to mention a few things. Last night, I went down a rabbit hole. I saw a replay of the 2005 USC versus UCLA game. I'm on record already saying Reggie Bush is the greatest running back I've ever seen. Yes, it's a generational bias. I don't care. I've lived for 28 years. That's long enough for me to see the running backs I've seen. I respect the history of the position. Reggie was the most electrifying running back I've ever seen at the position. And then I spent about three hours on YouTube looking up podcast that Gilbert Arenas was a part of. And he is probably the most interesting man that basketball has ever offered. I even saw a podcast where he talked about the gun incident in the locker room. That was fascinating about the parties he threw back in the day. Didn't know he dropped to the second round of the draft. Turns out Richard Jefferson said during the rookie, whatever they call it, run through where they had to do conditioning tests. He did it in chucks and said, I ain't doing this shit. It doesn't matter. Fell to the second round. Turns out it was a smart thing to do. He got paid before anyone else in his draft class and the money he spent and the things he spent it on. Pretty absurd. I think he had four cars and drove. I don't know how many of them. But he just drove cars, which athletes buy cars just to show up their teammates. Nick Young says that he, that Gilbert Arenas alone bought two Maybachs just to show up to Sean Stevenson back in their Washington days. So those are the rabbit holes I'm going through. That's just how my mind works. Gilbert Arenas, awesome. Terrific. If you ever have the chance, go and look up interviews of Agent Jiro Hibachi. He goes through it all. And the gun incident, pretty sketchy situation. He doesn't seem like it's a big deal. He got suspended for 50 games. He probably had a lot more to give to the NBA, but he was out of the league early. But one of the best scorers probably in his era. But anyways, that's the end of this podcast. Thank you for listening to 10 After 7. You can follow me on Twitter at 10 After 7. Or on the Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. I'm out. Woo. Go Dodgers.